put our hearts together and speak this unto the Lord. Lord, today by faith, we declare that we're walking in a manifestation season. As your faithful remnant will house your very presence. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, and he has delivered us from all of our troubles and fears. We're no longer victims, but we are victors in Christ. We'll not be deceived by the lies of the enemy, but we'll give health, healing, and wholeness to the hopeless and those in despair. We'll live under your anointing and see the real purpose of Christ in each of our lives. We declare your everlasting word on earth as it is in heaven. And everyone who believes that, give God a great big hand clap of praise. Let us continue to worship. seated this morning. Uh, before I get into the word of the Lord, I just want to take a moment to say that I trust that everybody had a great uh, Christmas day and over the holidays enjoying time with family. Got a lot of people out traveling and got a lot of people that's having family in and different things and we just love this time of the year. But um, it's been a good week for the church. Uh, we've had a great uh, uh, program and uh, as you all know, the, the play just went over with a great success. And we've had all kinds of testimonies coming in, and it's all over Facebook, and people are blowing it up of all the different things that happened to them, and some great, great testimonies. And I just want to take just a few seconds to just give honor where honor is due. You know, our associate pastor, Randy West, as you all know, writes all these every year, and, and everybody works hard. There's not one that's better than the other. But this man really, really goes through the fire every year because he just devotes his life for several months just to the play. Uh, but one of the things I really want to say about him is that I thank him for his courage to write such a message that is so relative to where we're at, and he's not afraid to hit the hardy issues. 
And um, I thank God that he ain't backing down, that he's willing to tackle that without compromise, saying there's no room for bullying in the house of God. Can you say amen? There's no room for discrimination. And uh, there's no room for that kind of nonsense. And the different things that was uh, through the play was just magnificent. Would you just give him a great big hand of appreciation this morning? Hallelujah. Randy, we honor you. We love you. You've done a great job. Praise the Lord. We haven't got back to the office yet. We take our vacation at the end of the year. That's one of the vacations we give our staff. We shut down until the uh, after January the 1st. And uh, we'll get back and tally all of the things up and how many people were saved and all of that. We'll start to work already. I think uh, we've got Cheryl working on already contacting some of those people and following through in their faith. So we're thankful that we had a lot of people saved. And we give God glory for that. If you have your Bible, turn to the book of Micah, chapter 5, verse 2 and 3. Micah, chapter 5, verse 2 and 3. And if you look at the screen every once in a while, you'll see maybe half of it go out. Folks, we've been working on that forever. We've put new lines in, new cables. We've done everything we know to do. We've, we've checked everything out. We just don't know what's going on. And so I just pray that we find out where the glitch is at and that we can get that fixed. That drives me crazy, but poor Steve is pulling his hair out. He's doing, and he ain't got much hair to pull out, I'll tell you for sure. But uh, he has just been under the gun. Him and uh, 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 all of his staff back there has been working just hours trying to figure that out and have not been able to do so at this time. Micah chapter 5, verse 2 and 3 says, But thou, Bethlehem Euphrates, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler of Israel, whose going forth has been from old and from everlasting. Therefore will he give them up until the time that she which travaileth have brought forth. Then the remnant of his brethren shall return unto the children of Israel. May the Lord add his blessing to his word this morning. There's two, these two verses is actually a prophecy that was given concerning the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ, as we all know. It was given more than 700 years before his actual birth would ever even take place. When Herod demanded information about where this Christ would be born, he wanted to know so that he could have him killed, go find him and have him killed and murdered. The chief priests and the scribes referred to him these two passages of Scripture. Verse 2 of our text reveals to us the actual birthplace of Christ. It says, But thou, Bethlehem, Euphrates, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be the ruler of Israel, whose going forth has been from old and from everlasting. Now, we're going to get into some good stuff here today, if you'll just bear with me. But this prophecy is so unique because it goes into great detail. Not only does it reveal the exact location of Christ's birth, but it also reveals to us how God sometimes used the least likely to bring about the most important. It reveals the Messiah's birth. It reveals his destiny and his eternity. There were two insignificant towns in Israel that bore this name Bethlehem. One was in the north, about six miles southeast of Mount Carmel, in the area belonging to what they call the tribe of Zebulun. And the other was approximately six miles southwest of Jerusalem, in the area which they called belonging to Judah. The place that Christ would 
come forth, which one of those Bethlehems, he begins to reveal it to us, and he addressed it as Bethlehem, which means the house of bread, which also says Euphrates, which means fruitful. It was done so to indicate clearly that Bethlehem of Judah, which means praise, is to be the birthplace of the Messiah, King Jesus. How many knows that Christ is birthed in praise? That's where Christ was birthed. Amen. This was a place that wasn't esteemed. It was, re, it was not regarded very highly among the Jewish people. It was a place of low estate because it was the place of the fallen dynasty of David. It was a symbol of defeat. It was a symbol of failure. It was a symbol of weakness and loss to the Jewish people. So here was Christ being born in a place of defeat. He was being born in a place of failure. He was being born in a place of weakness. He was being born in a place of loss. He was not born in a major city of high esteem, but in this lonely place called Bethlehem. And it was at this obscured village that would come forth this most prominent one who would rule not only Israel, but he would literally end up ruling the whole world. Can I remind you of our heritage or where you and I come from as a church, as a people of God? Our origin as the palace of praise did not come from a long list of accolades where we were honored due to some kind of our honorable estate or some privileged beginning. Our history and testimony doesn't include a list of accomplishments and, and honored merits and expressions and, aware, and awards of greatness. We were not handed down a thriving ministry by the laying on of hands to transfer a spiritual empire or a mega church to us. Our heritage started in a three-room sanctuary with two bathrooms, which was completely depleted. It was nothing but what you would call a shanty, if you please. And let me remind us here today that we were not the most prominent people or the most likely church for God to do any kind of work at all in. We were not an educated people, and most of us were not a real high knowledgeable people, and we certainly weren't the most talented or gifted people. At the time of our beginning, we did not have no musicians. We did not have no singers. We did not have no worship leaders. We only had one teacher. It was an old man by the uh, by the uh, old man by the name of Brother Nail, and we didn't have any of any kind of workers hardly whatsoever. Our church had no charismatic appeal to it. It certainly was void of charisma. Our manners and and certainly did not meet the high standard of the upper elect or the upper elite. Uh, there was no super superior qualities, I should say. There was no prestigious people among us. Our speech was not eloquent. Uh, or act articulate as most would be. And we were not a respected place. And we were not admired among the neighborhood, well less the, the, the city. We were not even known or recognized even as a church back in those days. We had no standing. We had no status. We had no testimony whatsoever. We were a nobody, just a few misfits that had gathered together in a rundown building that we called the house of God. And just like Bethlehem of Judah, what, it, even though it was the place of the fallen dynasty of David and its past was tainted and though it was despised among the people rejected as it was important and though there were thousands more prominent than it was yet this was the place that God chose to plant his fingerprint on and do his most prominent work our past revealed one failure one weakness one mistake one right after another throughout the history of our church all the way from 19, 
1936 all the way to 1986 when I became the pastor. 50 years had passed, but I seemed to walk in on the year of Jubilee. Can I have an amen? It was mocked, our church was. It was laughed at. It was ridiculed all over town. There was even false prophecies all over this town that said that our church would shut its doors and our church would close up. And yet there was this place that God looked down and had favor upon and God chose that church on Ninth and Cedar to do a work in. Look at us 35 years later. Can you put it up on the screen, Steve? There's our humble beginning. Actually, that's where we started in 1986. Now show us where we have come from. Now look of where we come from. Can you give the Lord praise about what God can do? Look again at that. Look to the left of where we come from to where we're at now. Now, are we saying that gloatingly? No, sir. Are we sitting here? Are we proud of the accomplishments? Yes. Are we happy about the accomplishments? Yes. But we do not stand here and brag. We do not stand here with a big head because we know that we did not do it, that he done it. But it's a testimony of what God can do with a people that is not respected, that is not looked at as anybody. God can take a bunch of misfits and bring something out of it. I want to tell you, God has not changed his word working plan. I don't care where you come from, what side of the tracks you're from, how old you are, what color you are, how much education you are. You're something in the hands of God and God's going to do something with you in 2022 like you've never seen before. If you believe that, give God praise. Amen. One of the things that we cannot forget, even though that now we have great talent in the church, Overwhelming giftedness, inspiring services. Our worship has a spirit excellence upon it. And our ministries have great successes. Look, last week, over 4,000 people came through our building. Hundreds were saved. Hallelujah. Our building is of the highest quality. Thank God for the facilities we've had. But there's one thing we cannot forget. We cannot forget where we came from and what made us great. Can I have an Amen. God's not looking for superstars or super studs. He's looking for common, ordinary people to glorify him in holiness. And he's looking just for people to be faithful, committed, persistent, steadfast, not roaming and up and down like roller coasters, but those that have the grit to hang in there and fight the good fight of faith and lay hold of eternal life. Can I have an amen? How many's ready to fight the good fight of faith? The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 1, starting with verse 26, for you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. Look at somebody and say, boy, you fit that description. You might get slapped. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised is God chosen, yea, and the things which are not to bring to not the things that are that no flesh should glory in his presence. In our weakness, he's made strong. In our inadequacy, he's more than efficient. How many believes that? God is just looking for people that know they cannot do it. Yes, he wants us to do our best. He wants us to have a spirit of excellence. He wants us to strive. He wants us to work. He don't want us to be lazy. But God also knows that our best is not good enough, and it is far from being able to produce the required results. However, God is able to achieve maximum productivity with minimum ability when we put him first and we trust him. 
Let me say all of that again. God also knows that our best is not good enough, no matter how good we are, and it is far from being able to produce the required results that he desires. However, God is able to achieve maximum productivity with minimum ability when we put first him and we trust him. Because this thing is not a work of your talent. It's not a work of your flesh. It's not a work of your ability. It is a work of him being accomplished through and by you as he favors you with his grace. Can I have an amen? One of the things that we cannot forget, God has always done his greatest works to his most unlikely. Don't despise the day of small things. Folks, it was a slingshot shot and a rock that killed the giant. It wasn't a big sword. It wasn't a bazooka. It wasn't a bomb. It wasn't a great army. It was one little kid with a slingshot with a little rock. Just one little rod split the Red Sea. It was two small fishes, five loaves of bread that fed 5,000 men, not counting women and children. Don't despise the day of small things. Those that are mocked and ridiculed, despised and made fun of and the misfits of society, the less fortunate is the ones you better keep your eye on because those are the ones that God's going to deposit his glory on. Come on, somebody. Somebody ought to be getting happy right now. Those that are timid and bashful and backward, intimidated and shy, those that have low self-esteem, they're not counted out in God's economy. They're not counted out in God's kingdom. So much time we look at them all that, they'll never do anything. They're too shy. Or they're too, I want to tell you, when God gets done with them, you're going to see them come out of their shell, and you're going to see some giants of the faith happen in 2022 because this, this whole church is about to storm the gates of hell and knock them down, and we're going to take those that are captive and free them by the power of Jesus Christ. Can I have an amen? See, God uses people like us because God don't want no flesh to glory in his presence. And it is only those that have been the outcast, the ones left behind, the ones not chosen or picked, that knows that they can't do it. That, that they're the ones that God's going to pour his ministry spirit through because he knows uh, that they know that they can't do it and they're trusting in him. We, we here at the Palace of Praise must remember where we come from and who we are. We came out of a climate and an atmosphere of rejection. We were despised. We weren't in a popular place in town. We were on Ninth and Cedar called Miller Subdivision, an old neighborhood that was declining fast. But God looked down and he graced us and he smiled upon us with favor. Verse 2 also reveals that when Christ comes, he will come unto the Father to fulfill the plan and the purposes of God. Look at verse 2. But thou Bethlehem, Euphrata, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be the ruler of Israel. God said that Christ would come forth unto him. Christ would come forth and keep him with the plan of God, and he would fulfill his purpose, and it would happen through Bethlehem of Judah, the most unlikely place. In order for us to understand what God is going to tell us in my next point, we have to believe that God has called us, that he's chosen us, that he desires to use us for his future glory and for his will. How many believe that God wants to use you? Raise your hand. You really believe that? Then I, I want you to receive the favor of God today. You see, through the majority of the Jews, the, the majority of the Jews, the nation of Israel as a whole rejected the Messiah that would come, who was Jesus Christ. But God never gave up on them, and he still fulfilled his plan, worked his program among them, because he moved and he favored a small segment of common folk 
that he used to work about his purposes. It was not the scribes. It was not the Sanhedrin court. It was not the Pharisees. It was not the Sadducees. It was not the doctors of the law, the students of the scripture. It was not the religious bunch at all that God used. There was a small believing remnant that would birth forth the purposes of God so that Israel could return to God and many be redeemed, both Gentile and Jew. Can I tell you that? This is the very reason God called me to the ministry in the first place. Miller Subdivision, Ninth and Cedars, where it all started for me. And let me tell you, my call has not changed. The Bible tells me in Romans 15 and 16, this is my calling. This is what God gave me, that I should be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering up the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. I believe that God has called me to preach to Gentiles. You are a Gentile. And that God has anointed me by the Holy Ghost. And by the time the ministry is done, your offering up to God will be acceptable in his sight because God will sanctify you. How many believes that's going to happen and is happening in this church? That's the calling of my ministry. We have moved into a new building, a new location, a better facility, into a better area in town. And even though everything has changed for us, yet I am not dead. I am not retired. God has not told me to go anywhere else. Our mandate has not changed. Our calling and election is sure. And we are to fulfill what we started. We are his end time remnant people. We have we are not done yet. If you think our past has been good, watch out. Your future is about to blow you away. Can I have an amen? It's almost overwhelming of what God's entrusted this body to. There's an awesome responsibility and burden to bear because to whom much is given, much is required. But God has helped us build a thousand-member congregation here. And who would have ever dreamed or phantom that that was even possible of where we come from. That's an impossibility. And when I look at where God has brought us compared to where he's wanting to take us, I'm overwhelmed. I shake in my boots. God isn't wanting to give, give what, what he's called us to do over to another. But the warning is we can't start believing in our ability, our talent, our charisma to get it done. God has blessed us with so many things but folks, let us realize what it is. It's nothing more than a blessing, but that in itself cannot get the job done. It's still going to take our relationship with God. We have to stay in the same spirit that we started in. Just like in Christ's day, it was the common man, the common fisherman, the tax collector that he used. We cannot overlook, discard, underscore, or reject those that's coming in that may have a background of baggage or that may have a, a, a stamp on them that I'm damaged goods. I've noticed a big part of our growth isn't the upper elite of society or the high learning population, but it's the common folk, rural, hard working class people that's coming into our church. Why? Because God's building an army. Come on, somebody. Those of you that are coming into this place, don't put yourself down. Don't be intimidated. Don't feel less than. Don't feel a second rate. Don't feel a second, second part, like a second fiddle. Don't, do not let this building intimidate you or make you feel inferior because it's made up of a bunch of redneck believers that's a part of the remnant of God. That's who we are. 
in all of our roughness, our edges are sharp at time. It's not what we know that's important, it's who we know that's got us where we're at. We're just one big happy family, scratching our way through life, learning and growing together as we go. Can I have an amen? There's no big eyes. There's no little U's around here. We're all on equal ground around here. These are the words that's on the Statue of Liberty that the Statue of Liberty claims and owns as a, and, and speaks to our nation. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. The wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless, tempest tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. And if our forefathers thought that they could build a nation on these type of people, if they thought they could build a country on these type of people, then what makes us think that we can't build the kingdom of God on these type of people? Come on, somebody. Bring the halt, the blind, the sick, the poor, the outcast to the palace of praise because we at the palace of praise will bring them into the kingdom of God and they will become a part of the remnant to reach an end time harvest for the glory of Almighty God. You see, it would be God that would use a virgin by the name of Mary to birth the Messiah. He did not come from a royal family or from the lineage of greatness. He came from a poor virgin peasant girl. God's purposes would come by the way of birth and process. It would not come by the way of ease and comfort. I've been questioning God as a pastor. Now, God, I'm in a place in my life. I don't know exactly what to do here. What do I do? How do I do it? When do I do it? You've got to give me some direction here. I have to have the understanding for the times that we're living in because we're living in some perilous times, rough times, times that you said that is coming up on the earth that where we've never been before. We, are, we have a culture that's out of control. We have an atmosphere over our, over our country that we have never experienced. And God, we're dealing with different kinds of things that we've never dealt with. What are we going to do? There's just so much chaos. There's so much demonic uh, manifestations everywhere. How do we handle this? How do we reach the masses? You're wanting us to reach the harvest. How are we going to do it? And I've been saying, what do we got to change? What do we got to do better? What do we got to enforce? What do we got to take away? And I, I'm praying all these prayers. And God spoke to me, and this is what he said. I'm going to read it slow. It's the same way when you started. You didn't know anything then, and you sure don't know anything now. He said, you're just as clueless at this stage of your ministry as when you started and, and at your very beginning at Ninth and Cedar. This is what God said. All I ask, Kent, stay humble. Keep in a broken and contrite spirit, which you've always had. Obey me when I speak. I'll do the rest. Whew. He said, you don't have to understand it. You don't have to see it afar off. Trust me. I've done it with this body for 35 years, and I'm going to keep doing it with this body. I am going to take this body places they have never thought that they could have ever gone or ever achieved. I'm not done with this body. I'm not done with the church, and I'm not done with you. Your greatest days are ahead of you, but you must, get not, you must not get haughty, arrogant, overconfident, and self-reliant. Do, be, do not become book smart, though educate yourself. Do not become book smart like the scribes and the doctors of the law. Do not become traditionally oriented and religious program like that of the Pharisees. This is what he told me. There's not one that has, has the understandings of what I'm up to in these last days. 
But I will lead you and show you when you need to know, but you live by faith until I do. God's desire to fulfill his purpose and to bring forth his program has not changed. He wants to do it through us. Can I have an amen? It's not changed. We're in a different place. We're in a different building. We're in a different kind of time. But God's brought us to this place in order that we can be more productive for the cause ahead of us. Bethlehem may have brought forth the Messiah, but there's a problem. It would not have come without travail. Mary travailed and brought forth the promised seed. Look at verse 3. Therefore will he give them up until the time that she which travailed brought forth, then the remnant will return. Now what's he saying here? This is vitally important because I want to bring it out. God has a plan, folks. God's got a plan for you. God's got a plan for this church. And it's for a set time. You're not going to manipulate the time. You know, when Jesus came, he came at a perfect time. It says when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son. But the time had to be the right timing. God has a plan. God has a set time. And nothing's going to happen until that time comes. But the, this verse also alluded to the fact that nothing is going to happen until there is a life of travail. The remnant is going to, that is lost is going to remain lost is what he told in this scripture. And they cannot return back to belief, back into the fold of grace until someone travails and birth the promise and the purpose of God. That's what he was waiting on. We will never travail until we see the need, the burden, the purpose behind the travail. I want to tell you something, folks. We will never travail if we don't understand that inside of us is a promised seed. And if we don't birth that promised seed in the congregation, nothing can happen for the glory of God. We are an integral part of God's plan in birthing forth his promises in this end time day. We must believe that he's created and raised us up for his purpose and this end time event that is about to take place and that we are anointed to to make a difference. We must believe that we are chosen. We must believe that we're a part of his plan. We must believe that we are here to make a difference. It may be true that Christ's destiny and birth wasn't dependent upon Israel because it would be God that would work his sovereign plan. Even so, if we don't fulfill his expectation and meet his purpose, desire that he has for us, that he will just simply raise up another remnant to do it. It's easy. God can do it just like that. He will just simply bring up a believing remnant. He'll bring a, a believing remnant into existence that will not abort or, or that will not forsake the purposes of God. God gave us a mandate years ago to pray for our nation. I went over old messages and in that. It was all about praying for the nation. There would be words in there that God would give us to pray for our leaders, to pray for government, that God's raised us up for to be a catalyst, to change the atmosphere, to bring about uh, revival and transformation and renewal. And he even had us praying for wisdom. And he, he even told us, and I don't know how many sermons throughout the years I was going through them, it said, don't let the bomb of Gilead be used foolishly. What does that mean? That the bomb of Gilead was that healing virtue that would take place at the harvest time when they bring in the herbs and make the bomb of Gilead out of the harvest. And he said, when the harvest is at right, don't waste the presence of God. Don't take it for granted. God has wanted us to go into a season of travail, prayer and intercessory and fasting. And we've been doing that for 
four years, and everybody said, well, what in the world is happening? I'm going to get off my notes a little bit because we're going to be running out of time. But God began to speak to me, and he began to tell me for, that the dreams, the visions that you have will never come to maturity until you bring life to them through travail. And the travail is for a season. Folks, just because you've prayed a year or two years or three years or four years does not mean that you can stop. We cannot stop until we see the fulfillment of the destiny and the fulfillment of the promise that God's gave us as a church. Amen? Mary agonized for nine months. Hello? It was for a season. It's not only through agonizing prayer, travail, and intercessory, but it's for us to be consistent of that until we receive the promise that God has for us. But then I want you to notice, as I said at the beginning of this sermon, that there were two Bethlehems. One of them was the land of, it was called Bethlehem, and it was at south, uh, northeast, I'm sorry, of Mount Carmel, about somewhere around six miles from there. And the enemy would try to get us to be focused upon that Bethlehem instead of the Bethlehem of Judah. Because the enemy always has a counterfeit. He always has a smoke screen. He always wants to mislead or deceive his people. One was in the northern part again of Israel, six miles southeast of Mount Carmel in the area it called that belonged to what we call Zebulun. Zebulun was a place of gross darkness. The Bible says in Matthew 4, verse 15 and 16, the land of Zebulun, the land of Nephilim, by the way of sea beyond Jordan, the Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness, talks about they were in the region of the shadow of death. So we understand that that is a dark place, a place of death according to the word of God. What made it that way? Zebulun was the 10th son of Jacob, which was born from his wife Leah. His name meant to dwell or gift of dowry, the gift of a bridegroom. However, the problem came when Zebulun and Asher and Neptalin never went in faith, destroying the Canaanites in this region to claim their rightful inheritance that was already assured by Joshua that it was theirs. So this territory was never completely given over to Israeli control, but it was translated to be the Galilee of the Gentiles. And due to the great population of the Gentiles, that they shared the land with, the Gentiles then had their say in the land, creating a non-Israeli culture that produced negative consequences that made it a very dark region. And due to the foreign element, it created less than desirable living conditions, and the Israelites were treated as a second-rate citizen. And this was all caused by Zebulun not claiming their rightful inheritance and taking control over their region and creating their own culture. Much of the land was gained by, that was gained by the Israelites were lost after the death of Joshua, allowing the foreign influence to take total control. They lost what inheritance they even had. And we have a choice right here today at the Palace of Praise. We can obey and, and follow and, and oh, the, the scripture of blessing, or we could go by the way of Bethlehem of Zebulun, or by the way of, of, the, of the, the, the way of curse. You and I got a choice. Are we going to go by the Bethlehem of Judah, or are we going to go by the Bethlehem of Zebulun? 
If we go by the way of Bethlehem and Zebulun, then we're going to give up our inheritance. We're going to allow foreign powers to rule and make us second-rate citizens. If we go by the way of Bethlehem Euphrates, though there be some weakness, there's going to be some failure, there's going to be some defeat, there's going to be some loss, and even though there be thousands of more desirable places it looks like than us, and it be considered a place of little importance, and it don't like, seem like it makes sense, yet if we'll follow after the place of Judah, if we'll do what God tells us to do, then that place will house God's praise and praise inhabits the praise and the praise inhabits the presence of God and before it's open over praise will cause birth to happen and when birth happens we will turn the remnant back to God here's what God's saying I got to get off my notes God's saying you can go by the way of Zebulun you can get lazy you can just want to not be confrontational you'll be not wanting to have any kind of spiritual warfare you want to be lethargic. You want to be mediocre. You want to just fit in. You don't want any kind of fight. You don't want any kind of suffering. You don't want any kind of travail. You don't want any kind of challenge. You just want to kind of let's all blend in together. Let's be one happy family. And what happens is as the world comes in, overtakes us, and you as a Christian then become a second-rate citizen because you're no longer in char charge and your culture is no longer spiritual, but your culture becomes carnal. And you become a Zebulun, and you end up Roman in gross darkness, and death comes upon the church. Amen? Or you can be in a despised place, a place of suffering, a place of challenge, a place of spiritual warfare, a place of fighting. There will be loss, there will be suffering, there will be weakness, there will be mistakes. There will be some bruising. There will be some bleeding. There will be some hurts. There will be some misfortunes. Come on. There will be misunderstandings. There will be hurt feelings. The church ain't gonna be perfect. It's a despised place. But you can choose to go into that place and say, this is the place that God's called me. And with all the struggle, with all the fighting, with all the travail to try to bring forth, with everything that's going, this little Mary, think of what she went through in order to birth this Christ. Look at the rejection. Look where she had the baby. Look how she got there. She had to flee her own country and hide out in Egypt for only how long because they tried to stop this baby from being born. Come on, somebody. This old lady went through a lot. She was despised. She was looked at as an adulterer, judged. She went through a lot. She's in a despised place. But that despised place housed the presence of God. While the royal lineage had their nose stuck out and walked around thinking that they were the righteous, they were rejected by God while little pleasant girl was birthing the very son of God. 
Let them put their nose and snarl at us. We're not backing down. We're not changing who we are. We're not going to compromise. We're not going to become lethargic. We're not going to become somebody that just settles. We're not going to camp and just say, I'm going to sit here and we're not going to offend anybody. We're going to be aggressive. We're going to lift our voice. We're going to tell people about Jesus Christ and we're going to praise him in the house of God and we're going to birth the purposes of God can I have an amen our nation is at stake I want you to stand with me I'm going to quit Zebulun or Bethlehem of Judea Euphrates the fruitful place Folks, I can't put enough emphasis on the travail of what we're at right now. We got to travail over our country. We got to travail over our church. We got to travail over this region because this is what the Lord spoke to me. He said, The first thing I want you to do is reach this region. And when you reach this region, He said, and you begin to set it in motion to where you have become the counterculture. And you begin to change the culture and the atmosphere around this region. He said, then I will use that atmosphere to spread. It will be communicable. And it will begin to affect another region and another region until I want, to, I want to, this to spread all over the United States. And he said, I've already started it in many places in the United States because I have remnant churches everywhere. And I have placed you right in a a, a, a place where it is set for the purpose, a strategic place is the word I'm looking for. It's strategic right here on this hill. We're not here by accident or coincidence. God's got one here. God's got one over there. And when they start spreading out, they're going to meet. And when they meet, revival's coming. The earth will shake. It'll tremble. And God's going to have a divine awakening. The purpose of God will be birthed. The praises of people will be heard. And the despised will no longer be the despised. Come on, somebody. We're not done yet. We just started our mission. We've just started our work. The Bible says until Mary travailed, until she brought forth the purpose of God, the purpose of God will be the, estate, the establisher, the one that would stabilize and when Christ would come, then the remnant was lost could be brought together and be brought in. And just on the day of Pentecost alone, 3,000 of them were saved. What we have to do is become a church of Bethlehem, Euphrates, of Judah. We got to praise, birth the presence of God here. When we birth the seed of promise and the presence of God and his glory is poured out and the thickness comes, I want to tell you, you're going to see revival at its best. You're going to see people transformed. You're going to see the reason shaken. You're going to hear people say, man, have you heard that? Instead of cutting us down about everything that we do on the internet, did you hear about what's going on down night or down at, I keep saying night the cedar, at, at the palace of praise? Things are happening down there. People are, 
are, are going down there and getting saved by the hundreds and eyes are being opened and the lame was walking and man, miracles are taking place. How many's ready to see that? It's coming. It's coming in Jesus' name. I want you to do me a favor right where you're at. You, I'm not asking for an altar call. I want you to pray, God, forgive me of my sin. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I want to be a part of the end time remnant. I'm not afraid to fight the good fight of faith. I want to war as a good soldier. I cannot remain silent, God. Let me lift my voice up like a trumpet. Let me spare not. Let me preach and let the people know the, their transgressions. Come be me an instrument, Father, of your glory. Let me preach your word, teach your word, instruct your word. Help me not compromise. Help me not settle. Help me not just want to sit back and take my ease, but put me on fire for the glory of God. And while I come to the house of God, I will always lift my hands, regardless of how I feel and how much I've been wounded, how much that... God, I have missed the mark, or regardless of how weak I am, I'm going to lift my hand, and I'm going to praise you for thinking me worthy to be, a, be brought into your battles and to brought into your kingdom fight, and in my weakness, you'll be strong. Clothe me with your goodness. I trust you. Purify my intent. Purify my heart. And in all my beggarly elements, in all my flesh, in all of my weaknesses, make up the difference, God. For it's in you that we live and we move and we have our being and not within ourselves. It's not by our works or our display of talents or by our giftedness, but it's by your sweet anointing and the aroma of the Holy Spirit. Help us never to forget that. Father, we may be insignificant in the eyes of the world, but to you, we're the ones that has chosen now use us for your glory, I pray in Jesus' name. God bless you. Thank you for coming out. Enjoy the rest of the week. We will not have service tonight. But before you leave, give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Would you do that? God bless you.